good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. So glad to see you. Hope you had a great week and a great weekend. Let me echo what Peter already said and say happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room. One more time, let's give it up for all the dads in the room and online. Hope you guys have a great day. While we got the clappers working, let's again welcome our BT Online family one more time. BT Online, glad you're with us wherever you're watching from. And then the BT VIPs, first time guests, let's give it up for the BT VIPs today. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Chris. I have the honor of serving as senior pastor of BT Church and a privilege to take us into God's word today. So why don't you grab your Bible, your smart device, whatever it is you're going to follow along with and meet me in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is where we are. We're going through a series entitled Rise Up and we're walking through this short but powerful book. As you turn there, and let me just encourage you, by the way, uh, when you join us in the room or online, I, I encourage you to have a Bible with you, whether that's physical or digital. Uh, we always have the text on the screen, but uh, I encourage you to have that with you so you can follow along. Um, at, at BT, we believe in a culture of celebration, okay? Uh, because here's the deal. Um, there's, pl- there's plenty of brokenness around us. And in fact, sometimes it seems like the world is increasingly getting darker. Now, the reason why I say seems is because since the moment sin entered the world, it's, it's, it's always been dark, right? Sin doesn't get more sinful as there are more people on the planet and more availability and accessibility through the internet and television. We are more aware of that darkness, but it definitely sometimes feels very heavy. Uh, and that's why I believe that the church should celebrate what God is doing, right? We, we have the best news there is, right? And no matter how bad the bad news is, the best news of Jesus is always better. It's always stronger. It always wins. The light overcomes the darkness, and there's nothing the darkness can do. So so that's why we simply believe in a culture of celebration. The funny thing about celebration is it's actually a discipline. And like anything that's a discipline, you've got to do it to get better at it. And so here's the other thing. The reason why we believe in celebrating at BT is because in a few minutes, and when I say a few minutes, I mean when I'm done preaching, whatever time that is and however long it takes. Um, You're stuck, sorry. But anyways, when we leave here, the reality is it won't take long to be reminded of darkness, will it? It won't take long. If you're, watching, if you're here in the room, uh, we all know here at the McAllen campus that Satan has a tool of darkness called Trenton Road right out there, right? And I mean, you're going to leave here and you're going to get in traffic and you're going to get reminded of darkness. So, so if we don't celebrate what God's doing, then we don't, we don't utilize the discipline of, rem- of reminding ourselves that God is at work, that he's doing above and beyond all that we can ask or imagine. So let me just celebrate a few things with you today before we jump to the text. This last week, our student ministry, middle school and high school, attended Camp Zephyr for annual student camp. They had a great week. Uh, five of those students that went on that trip said yes to Jesus. So we celebrate life change in a teenager's life. Statistically, statistically, Uh, Almost 80% of people who give their life to Jesus do so before the age of 18. That does not mean that you can't get saved after 18. We have people do it all the time. It just means that the odds are it's better to get them when they're young, plus they're going to be walking with Jesus for a longer period of time. So we celebrate uh, that reality. Uh, We also celebrate uh, that 194 people this year at our church have said yes to Jesus, crossing from death to life. 
We believe that's the greatest decision that any single person makes. It's not, it's not something we earn. It's not a work. It is the free gift of God through his son, Jesus Christ, because he died on the cross for our sins and rose again in power. However, we do celebrate that after someone gives their life to Jesus, uh, the next step, we say, the first step of obedience as a believer is what we call a BT believer's baptism. You may say, well, I've heard of baptism, but I've never, why do you call it believer's baptism? We, we believe that biblically, baptism should be practiced practiced as a believer. You say, well, well, I got baptized when I was a, when I was a kid. My, when I was born, my, my parents had me baptized in the church. Listen, uh, we dedicate children at BT. We, we don't do baptism, but, but we believe that, that it's good and right to, to pray over a child and set them apart, that the Lord would, would bless them and protect them. But we believe that biblically, the, the practice of baptism is one that a believer does. And plain, plain and simple, a, a newborn child is not yet a believer. They haven't made that decision. And so we don't believe that baptism provides salvation. It demonstrates it, right? And so we celebrate when, when people say yes to Jesus and then they're obedient by going public and saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. And this year, 106 people uh, have made that decision to be obedient in believer's baptism. And so we celebrate uh, what the Lord is doing here at our church uh, I'm sorry, 107, I said 106, 107 people. Uh, and so let me give you a little bit of background uh, about the book of Nehemiah. If you missed last week, last week we kicked off this series. You can catch that sermon online, go to YouTube and find BT Church and you can get caught up. But a little bit of background. So Nehemiah is a prophet of God. We find the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, right? So the, 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 the first section of the book's of the Bible, and so let's just kind of nerd out for a little bit. You with me, okay? Uh, and so let's nerd out and just let's just place Nehemiah in the scope of history. So this book is written in the fifth century BC. Everybody say five. I'm nerding out, so I want to make sure you stay with me. So in the fifth century BC, that's when this book is written. Now, now the people of God they had they had become a sovereign nation called Israel. Everybody say Israel. Right, we know some of, some of us know that story. It starts back in Genesis chapter 12 when a guy named Abram is told by God that he and his wife would have a child. He was a hundred, she was 90. They're like, uh, that doesn't work that way, God. We kind of missed that season. But God blesses them with a child, and, and God says that through that child, there would be multiple descendants. In fact, God says that the descendants of Abraham would outnumber the sand of the seashore that and that that through his descendants the whole world would end up being blessed and so uh, Abraham had a son he had many sons actually I, I'm one of them so are you so let's all praise the Lord okay anyways uh, there's hand motions and everything, but we're not going to do that. So, um, so, so, so the, the the nation of Israel then is is beginning. With, with Abraham, and then, and then Abraham would have a grandson named Jacob, right? His, his name is actually changed to Israel, and so then you've got more descendants, so now you've got quite a few people. Uh, we, we, we end up, uh, Jacob, has, he, he's got a lot of kids, right? And, and, and so uh, th then they go to slavery in Egypt, and then this guy Moses leads them out. By the time Moses leads the nation of Israel out of slavery, there's over one million people that make up the nation. You keep going in the Old Testament, and finally, the Old Testament, uh, we, we see the nation of Israel wanting a king. So God's like, you don't need a king. You got me. But like, no, we really want one. And so then the kingdom is established. Now, over time, things don't you know, go according to plan, so the kingdom splits. There's a northern and southern, so you got Israel and Judah. But then eventually, the nation of Israel is conquered 
by the Babylonian Empire. Everybody say Babylon. So Nehemiah is writing after the Babylonian Empire. And, and during that time, the, the, the Israelites were actually forced out of their homes. It was a time of exile. So, so this, is, this is taking place after the exile. Eventually, people were allowed to go back home because Babylon was actually conquered, 586 B.C., by Persia. Everybody say Persia, right? Cyrus the Great. And so, so Israel falls, Babylon takes over. Babylon falls, Persia takes over. The Persian Empire is in control when we are reading the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, a Jew, is a court official to the king. What does that mean? God always places the people he wants where he wants for the purpose that he has. So we pick up Nehemiah in chapter 1, and, and Nehemiah catches wind that his home, Jerusalem, is in ruins. Because when, when Babylon conquered Israel, they burned the city. That's been years, but, but, but it's still in ruins. And so he's grieved that his home is still in ruins. He prays to the Lord because when you're grieved, you go to God, right? Hey, friendships, great. Uh, all, all the things that God has given us, but make sure you go to God when you have sorrow because he's the one that gives peace. And so he prays, and we learned last week that prayer is an act of worship, and as he takes this burden to the Lord, he, he, is, he is compelled to act. And so at the beginning of chapter 2, because we're going to pick up at verse 11 here in a minute, at the beginning of chapter 2, what we see happen is that, uh, that, that, that Nehemiah is serving the king, and the king's like, hey, man, like, why are you so sad? You, you got the long face. Like, what, what's going on? Verse 2 of chapter 2 tells us that, that Nehemiah was fearful. Let me just address that. We live in a world today where, where fear gets kind of really sensationalized or polarized. Uh, some people, they, they get gripped by fear and they live in it. You shouldn't, you shouldn't live that way. The Bible's call, told us that, that we don't have to live in fear anymore, right? And, and so sometimes we get gripped by it and, and we live in it, but sometimes we want to deny it. Listen to me. We, we know that we don't have to live in fear, but it doesn't do us any good to deny when we feel fearful. Nehemiah had this burden from the Lord. He's about to tell the king about that burden, and, and this king could either agree or disagree and could take his life. And faithfulness, here's the thing, it's okay to acknowledge fear, we just need to be faithful over it. So he tells the king, hey, you know, I, I heard that my city, my home is in ruins. And then, then he, he goes a step further and he asks for permission to go to Jerusalem. By the way, that's a three to four month journey of about 900 miles. He's, he's a high court official. He says, hey, I, I want to go home, and I want to rebuild the city, and I want to rebuild the wall. And because God is sovereign, the king says yes. But, but Nehemiah doesn't stop there. He doesn't just ask for permission. He asks for provision. He says, but here's the deal, king. As I travel, I'm going to go through different provinces, and governors may stop me and want to know whose business I'm doing. So would you give me some papers so I could show the governors I'm doing your business. And he doesn't just stop there. And once I get to Jerusalem and start the construction process, well, you know I'm going to need supplies, right? And I mean, supply costs is through the roof. Wait, no, that's today. Uh, anyways, and, and so I'm going to need some supplies. So could you give me some letters so I could tell the people to, to give me the needed lumber? The king says, yeah, yeah, I can do that. And, and then don't miss this. In, in, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we see we see Nehemiah ask for permission. We, we see him ask for provision. And don't miss this, beloved. This isn't prosperity gospel. This is, this is Bible. When you do the will of God. Now, now listen, sometimes we want to pray our will and not his will. 
when, when you're so in tune and in step with the Lord that you pray his will, he brings it about in such a way that he gives you what you are asking for and he gives you the things you need that you don't know to ask for. Because in, in Nehemiah chapter two, the first 10 verses, while Nehemiah asks for permission and provision, the king also sends him with protection. What, what, what the king says, said, oh, and by the way, take, take, you know, go ahead, go take, take these papers so you don't get stopped. But just in case things go sideways, sideways, take some officials, take some guards with you in case people want to stop you. So, so, so Nehemiah is now setting out, there, there's the background, there's the landscape, and he sets out on a 900-mile journey, takes three to four months to get to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, he has to face the ruins. So what I want to talk about today, beloved, what, what do we do when we face the ruins? Because in a broken world, there's ruins all around us, right? What, what do we do when we face the ruins, and how do we examine life in the midst of ruins and take the necessary steps to rise up above them? Listen to me today, the number of people in this room watching online, there are some of us, and we've, we've entered into the gift called marriage, but we've hit rocky times, and it's fallen apart, and, and maybe you're ready for it to fall apart, and this is what I want you to know, in the midst of ruins, there's still hope. Maybe some parents, you've got prodigals that are uh, you know, living wild, and you want them to come home. In the midst of ruins, there can be hope. We've got to face those ruins. In the midst of financial crisis, health crisis, spiritual crisis, in the midst of ruins, there's hope, but we've got to know how to rise up. And so that's what I want to do today. I want to look at verses 11 through 20, and I want to talk about three steps that we can take to rise up as we face the ruins in our lives. Let's go ahead and get to work. This is what it says in Uh, Nehemiah chapter 2, starting in verse 11. After I arrived in Jerusalem and had been there three days, I got up at night and took a few men with me. I didn't tell anyone what my God had laid on my heart to do for Jerusalem. The only animal I took was the one I was riding. I went out at night through the valley gate toward the serpent's well and the dung gate. That's a terrible name. I I really want to be mature and go past that, but I got to acknowledge that's a bad name for a gate. Anyways, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire, verse 14. I went on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but farther down it became too narrow for my animal to go through. So I went up at night by way of the valley and inspected the wall. Then heading back, I entered through the valley gate and returned, verse 16. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, for I had not yet told the Jews, priests, nobles, officials, or the rest of those who would be doing the work. Let's hit the pause button. First step that we've got to take when we face the ruins that are in our lives and we seek to rise up is we have got to, write this down, evaluate. Evaluate. Remember that that Nehemiah has just gone on a three to four month journey storing up what God has put in his heart that he is to do. He has been ruminating, fancy word, right? He, he has been evaluating. He gets to Jerusalem. He's only there for a few days when he decides to set out at night and to examine the damage, right? He, he does scene control, damage control. He assesses that which must be done. He has evaluated that which God has put in his heart. Beloved, there's two things about this. You know, some, sometimes, sometimes we struggle because we over-evaluate and we experience what I call paralysis by analysis, right? 
We, we look at the ruins and all we do is think about how bad it is and all that has to be done. And, and we never take an action step, right? Sometimes the most, hear me, this is going to sound weird. Sometimes the most dangerous words in the Christian life is I'm going to pray about it. This is why. We, we should always pray about it. But I promise you this, if God's put a burden in your heart and you pray about it, he's going to ask you to act on it. And when we fail to act, there's a problem. So sometimes, this happens to me, sometimes we overanalyze, but, but the other side of that, and I think this is maybe more common, is we never stop to evaluate what God is putting in our heart and calling us to do. Sometimes we've got to stop and evaluate and actually acknowledge the ruins that are around us. Notice what, what Nehemiah did when he, when he got to Jerusalem. He took a few days and then he set out to assess the damage. You know, you know, sometimes the reason why we never rise up is not because God is not calling us to, it's not because he has not equipped us to, it's not because we don't have the power to, but because we, we want to believe that there's nothing actually ruined. Nehemiah didn't show up and, and go through town and see the gates that had been burned and the walls that had been destroyed and go, looks great, just like I left it, right? He, he didn't deny what was happening. Listen to me, I, I talked about marriages earlier. I have a burden for marriages, listen to me. Th th there are some in this room and online and you are going through marital struggles. That's a fact, like not, not us, listen, listen to me. You, you may not be, but, but as someone who's, who's married, guess what? Every marriage has challenges and all the married people said, amen. amen. I mean, all of them but mine, but anyways. So, <laughs> but, but so, so, so maybe it starts with, with a struggle or a challenge and, and, and that gets overlooked. It's financial or, or it's, it's parenting related or, you know, listen to me. You, you can count on the majority of struggles, and this is just free advice, you can count on the majority of struggles in marriage being, being related to a faith subject. That's why if you're both believers, you're starting off on the right foot. Listen to me, if you're dating someone right now who doesn't know Jesus, like, you can love that person, but you shouldn't be dating that person, okay? When, when, when people that are, that, that, we talk about the phrase unequally yoked, that, that's literally where that comes from. Because if you give your life to Christ, you're, you're, you're you're, we just sang about the firm foundation, that's Jesus. If someone has not given their life to Christ, that is not Jesus. So now you're trying to build a new life and you got different foundations, right? So, so faith subjects, money subjects, and sex. Like, oh, he said sex. Yes, it's right. Like marriages usually have struggles related to those issues. And, and so when you have your first struggle as newlyweds, and then you have your next one and your next one, and the answer is to just deny that there are struggles, then you won't be able to rise up through the ruins. There are marriages falling apart in the church because couples don't want to acknowledge that, hey, we should go to counseling. Hey, we, we should address this. Hey, we need to work on this. We have to acknowledge when there are ruins in our lives, when, when, when our children are making decisions that we wish they weren't making, when our finances are a wreck because we've overextended ourselves in debt, because we're not honoring the Lord in generosity, we have to acknowledge what is ruined so that we can then seek the Lord to rise above that. We have to stop and evaluate. Nehemiah sets out, gets a few guys, and he goes out and he assesses the damage. He doesn't deny what is going on. 
Let me just say this, since it's Father's Day, right? I, 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 you know, at BT, we just kind of preach where we are. So like we don't, you know, here's our Mother's Day sermon and here's our Father's Day. Nothing wrong with that, but we just kind of preach where we are. But since it's Father's Day, let me just point this out for the dads. Um, verse 16 is great dad wisdom where he says, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing for I had not yet told the Jews, priests, nobles, officials, or the rest of those who would be doing the work. Uh, so uh, as a dad, right, sometimes I will go out in my backyard and I kind of cross my arms and I, well, that tree's gonna have to get trimmed and once I trim that tree, the limbs are gonna get have, have to get hauled to the front and then we gotta, we gotta dig this up over here. And, and, and so I don't tell my kids about that when I'm planning it, right? Because they don't know they're the ones that are gonna do the work, right? And so, uh, you know, Nehemiah, he's a set, he's like, well, that's gonna get fixed and that wall's gotta get, but he's not telling anybody yet because, you know, they're gonna do the work. And let me just say this, since it's Father's Day, um, it's, you know, you know, great thing about being a dad, outside the fact that kids are just awesome. But when, when you're the child and it's tree trimming day, you haul the limbs. But when you're the dad, you just cut them, right? I'm just, they're just all falling on the ground. Like, hey, those need to go away. And so anyways, that's just for me, but whatever. So reeling it back into the sermon. Here we go. So Nehemiah, he, he sets out and he evaluates that which God has put in his heart, not paralysis by analysis. He's not, he's not, shrinking back, right, from action. He, he's not denying reality. He is assessing what must be done. Mind you that the people living there have been walking by broken walls for who knows how long. Sometimes God will raise up a fresh set of eyes in our lives to see that which is in ruin. Beloved, that's why community is so important. That's why we got to do life together, right? There were people in Jerusalem that had seen the ruins probably for some period of time, but, but God brought Nehemiah with fresh eyes to see what could be done. But don't miss this. You're like, man, this is not a feel-good sermon. Listen to me. It's not, just, it's not just that he saw the ruin because verse 16, it tells us he didn't tell people what the plan was yet. What does that mean? It means there was a plan. We don't look at the ruins of this life and the ruins of this world with defeated hearts. We do it with hopeful hearts, right? We do it with hopeful hearts. Yes, you know, you know why Nehemiah was able to evaluate the situation and not lose heart? Because he never forgot the solution. He never forgot the answer. In chapter one, if you missed last week, go back and read Nehemiah chapter one. As he prays, Nehemiah acknowledges the continued faithfulness of God, that he does not break his promises. And so while Nehemiah being faithful is going to put a plan into action, because again, when you pray to God to act, he's gonna ask you to act, right? When you pray for the Lord to do something, expect for him to use you to do something. And so Nehemiah, he, he, he has a plan, but the reason why he can see the ruins and not lose heart is because he knows the solution. Beloved, as we live lives in a broken world, we need not forget the answer. You know, that, that, that's why we celebrate at BT. I, I, I get discouraged sometimes when the people of God see the brokenness of the world and we forget that God wins. And if he wins and we've given our lives to him, guess what? We win also. And so we can assess and evaluate the ruins and not lose heart because we know that our God who leads us through the valley of shadows, who never forsakes us, who even on the worst days, because sometimes in Christian lives we still have worst days, right? 
But in the dark night of the soul, we know that we are not alone. We are not forsaken. We can step forward in faith, evaluate the ruins that are in front of us, and know that if we will continue to seek him first, we will indeed rise above the ruins in front of us. You see, Nehemiah, he saw broken walls, but that's not all he saw. Because when, when we walk in the spirit, right? Now listen to me, this isn't, this isn't like spooky talk, this is Bible talk. Book of Acts tells us that Jesus promised that when we would call upon his name for salvation, we would receive the Holy Spirit. And upon receiving the Holy Spirit, we also receive power. And people want to take that and abuse that. It's, it's not power for the sake of having power. It's not power to advance ourselves. It's power to advance the kingdom of God. But there are believers in churches today that are living defeated lives because they have forgotten that they actually have power in the Holy Spirit. And, and here's the deal. When we evaluate that which is ruined in our lives and in our world and we step forward, we can actually step forward in hope because we have a power that allows us to see what isn't yet visible. Does that make sense? We see Nehemiah, he saw broken walls, but he also saw rebuilt walls, right? He saw a city in ruins, but he also saw a city restored. And when we walk in the spirit, it's not that we deny the ruins and the brokenness in this life and in this world. It's that we cling to the God who rebuilds and who restores. So we start off by evaluating, but then let's keep reading here, picking up in verse 17. It says this, so I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned. Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem's wall so that we will no longer be a disgrace. I told them how the gracious hand of my God had been on me and what the king had said to me. They said, let's start rebuilding and their hands were strengthened to do this good work. And so Nehemiah starts by evaluating, but he continues to rise above the ruins by cultivating. Write down the word cultivate. You see what Nehemiah is doing in verses 17 and 18 is he is cultivating, very specifically, he is cultivating amongst the people, you can write this down as well, concern. He is cultivating commitment and he is cultivating community. And since I'm rattling off the C words, let me just give you one more. That, by the way, beloved, is called the church. See, the church is called to be the vehicle through which God cultivates concern for a broken world, commitment to push back that darkness, and community to band together to see a better world. Nehemiah begins to cultivate all of this in the people of God. Listen to what he says. Let me just point it out. Verse 17. So I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. He doesn't deny it. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned. He's not denying the reality. He is cultivating concern by clearly communicating the state of things. And that marriage is on the brink of disaster when divorce is being spoken of. You can't talk like things are a-okay, right? When finances have been overextended, when there's more debt than income, you can't talk like everything's a-okay. We've, we've got to talk about things the way they are, believing that when we surrender our will to his, he can change that which we see. So he cultivates concern. Listen, the city is in ruins. Its gates have been burned. Come, let us rebuild Jerusalem's wall so that we will no longer be a disgrace. Now he's cultivating commitment. He says, listen, he doesn't say let you. He says, let us. When he speaks, it's, it's, 
It's we, it's us. He's cultivating commitment. Let us rebuild this so we will no longer be a disgrace. He continues to cultivate commitment because he tells them what God had done. He says, listen to me. I got this burden. I was praying to the Lord. I had heard about the state of Jerusalem. I got this burden. And so I went to the king. They're like, you, this is like, I'm telling the story. It's not here, the verses, right? And so I, I went to the king. I imagine the, 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 the Jewish people saying, you did what? Yeah, I went to the king and I asked for permission to come here. By, by the way, let me just point this out. It, it, again, he, he's a high-ranking official. His absence affects the king's presence, Right? It would take him three to four months to get there, but he would also be allowed to stay for 12 years. So he's like, hey, I I asked for permission. They're like, you did what? Yeah, and the king let me come. And then I told the king, but what if I get stopped? I need some papers to prove I'm I'm on your official business. Well, what'd he say? He gave me papers. And then I said, well, once I get to Jerusalem, I'm gonna need some supplies to rebuild things. Well, what'd the king say? He gave me provision. And I thought I was set to go. I didn't think about protection, but the king sent guards with me so that when I got here, if anyone tried to stop me, they wouldn't be able to. He is fostering commitment by both challenging them, let's do this together, and then encouraging them, and don't worry about what you're committing to because God's got this. We, we foster commitment. We, 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 we foster commitment when we look at the ruins and know that God has more for us. And then listen to this at the end of verse 18. This is powerful. They said, let's start rebuilding. And their hands were strengthened to do, to do this good work. Community. Listen to me. If you're in this room or you're watching online, and, and, and I, I want you to hear my heart, but if the extent of your connection to our church is this, you're, you're forfeiting the power of community. You're forfeiting. We have community groups that meet in person. We got community groups that meet online. We have Sunday morning classes. We, at different times, have Wednesday night classes. We've got a Thursday night program called H2O. We have opportunities to take the big group and make it a little bit smaller because here is what happens in community. Notice that this is what changes in the text. You know what community does? Community takes he said, she said, and makes it we said. Nehemiah is like, hey, let me tell you about this. Hey, let me tell you about this. And then you get to the end of verse 18, and they said, let's do this, right? They have cultivated a concern for that which is in ruin, right? They have been, they have been cultivated in commitment, and now it is community that will lead the way. They said, let us start rebuilding, and their hands were strengthened to do this good work. You know, I imagine there were people in Jerusalem that walked by those burned gates and those broken walls day after day and maybe even thought to themselves, someone should do something about this. And here Nehemiah rolls up and he says, guess what? You and I, we're the someone. We're the someone that's going to do something about this. Let me share my heart just for a moment real real quick. Uh, Some of you that that have been around BT know that by God's grace, we are able to be a church that exists in different locations. And um, if you're watching online, as 2020 happened and we we navigated the pandemic and we went online for several months, you know, God, God has given us 
the opportunity to have an online ministry. I'm just going to confess, I'm not smart enough to even understand that, okay? Like, it's beyond my comprehension that people are watching from literally all over right now. Uh, and and I, some people say, well, that, that, that's not real church. Listen to me. I'm not here to debate that. I'm here to tell you that last week someone texted us after watching online and saying, hey, I just gave my life to Christ. What's next? And so we, we want to we leverage any tool God gives us to see the gospel go out. So, so we, we have this ability to have people join us from all over, and that's beyond my comprehension. So let me talk about what I kind of understand, not fully. I kind of understand that in the last five years, God's allow us to, to take our, our, our church and to set up local outposts, if you will, across South Texas. And, and, and let me just say this for clarity. If, if you're watching online, you don't live in South, I mean real South Texas, right? This last week, I was, uh, I was at a meeting in California, and somebody asked me, hey, where are you from? And, and I said, told them, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm from the Rio Grande Valley. Well, where's that? Well, it's, it's in South Texas. They go, oh, you mean like around Austin? I went, <laughs> no. Oh, you mean South like San Antonio? I was like, <laughs> You silly guy. No, and so here's the deal. God's doing something. He's allowing us to, to reach people from all kinds of places. But he, he specifically has allowed us, right, 1985 to set up a church in McAllen, Texas, and then 2017 to open a campus in, in the South McAllen Mission Area in Sherryland, and 2018 to open a campus through a merger in Edinburgh and, and start a work in Alice, and we're trying to get something going in Corpus, and if you're watching from Corpus, pray with us. We, we, we believe that, that there's great potential there, and, and then, of course, we've shared that just a few months ago, a church in Kingsville, First Christian Church, found out about what we're doing, and they said, hey, we, we feel that our days are coming to an end, but we want gospel ministry to continue. Would you like a building? We said yes. And so now we're starting that process of seeing what it would look like to do a work in Kingsville. And I get it. Listen to me. Uh, just being alive for 43 years, but, but really doing ministry for 22 plus years, I've come to understand that everybody's not going to like everything I do. Now, let me just kind of share my heart. I wrestle with that because right or wrong, I want to be liked. <laughs> And I've heard it all. Oh, yeah, there's BT, just building the kingdom of BT. Oh, they, they think they're the savior. And so let, let me just share my heart. Take it at face value. Think I'm a liar, whatever. If you wrestle with why we do what we do, you know why we do it. God's allowed this online thing to take off, and I, and I, 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 I bless God for that. But you know what my heart is as a South Texas native? It's, it's the ruins that is South Texas. It's driving through towns and knowing that there is such need and we have the answer. His name is Jesus. And so out of concern for people to find hope in Jesus, we have committed to take our resources. We could be doing, listen, here at McAllen Campus, we, we are at the beginning phases, we'll talk more about it, of finally, praise God, remodeling the pavilion to be a first-class student building. That's happening, right? It's under demolition right now. Had we not chosen to become a multi-site church, we would have done that a long time ago because we've invested resources to set up other campuses so that people in these areas could have access to a local church close to them. And we don't want to be the church that says, come and see. We want to be the church that goes and tells, right? And so out of concern, we, we have committed and we're doing it as a community because, listen to me, beloved, this isn't a cliche statement. You know what the greatest problem is today? We can talk about political dilemmas and we can talk about all the issues, but do you know the single greatest problem today? Lostness. You're like, what is that? We don't use that word a lot. It's people that don't yet know Jesus. 
Because of the world's population expanding at a rapid rate, interesting fact, America is not keeping up. So if you're young, married, have more kids. Come on. But anyways, um, but the world, sometimes we have blinders, the world is rapidly increasing in population. And just it's just, this kind of makes sense because as there's more people, the world, as far as population statistic, has never been more lost. And so we, 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 we act according to scripture and we want the world to reflect the standards of God, absolutely, but we never conflate the issues that the greatest problem facing the world is lostness. Because if people vote like me, think like me, work like me, all those, but they don't have the Jesus in me, I have not accomplished what God has set me to do. And so we cultivate, we cultivate concern over the things that matter. And, and then we commit to that, right? And, and then in that commitment as a community, we choose togetherness because we're better together to see darkness pushed back and ruins overcome and, and the progress of the gospel go forward. Beloved, what, what is it that God has given you a concern over that is connected to his kingdom? We absolutely start in prayer, but then we take that prayer to commitment. That concern becomes something that we act on and we, we, we seek to move forward. You know, I shared this in the previous service, so let me just share it here as I kind of being transparent. Let, let me talk about a burden that God has put on my heart that's going to be something that's going to follow that cultivation of concern and commitment and community. You know, it's possible, that, it's possible this summer... Um, or at some point in time, but, but it's possible that, that the high court of our country would overturn Roe v. Wade and, and then states would be making decisions regarding uh, abortion laws and those types of things. At, at BT, we, we believe that life begins in the womb. We believe in sanctity of life, womb to tomb. That, that's what the Bible tells us. And so, so you know, w- w- when it's time to go to the ballots, I realize that's not a ballot decision, but let me just, when, when it's time to go to ballots, uh, let me just say this, we have a freedom right, to vote, so you should exercise that freedom, but then, but then as believers, we have a responsibility, right, we have a responsibility, and so I encourage you to, 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 to exercise the freedom and take that responsibility, but let me just say this, if the world's greatest problem is lostness, then while we exercise responsibility according to the scripture and we seek to push back darkness in any avenue we can, we know that the answer is going to be Jesus always, right, and, and so, Possibly something relatively monumental could happen in the next few weeks or months concerning life. But that is not when it ends for the church, beloved. Like that, that's just a starting point. And, 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 and again, I, I don't understand everything that, 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 that a decision like that could mean for, for our community. But let me say some, something that God has put in my heart. So I'm just sharing a concern with you, right? Because even if that decision is overturned and states make decisions, I believe that there is always going to be a need to encourage families and moms to raise their children, to be encouraged, to know that there's hope, particularly if they're single moms. And so it's been a burden of mine that BT would be able to be a church that, that actually, and I don't have a better word than owns, I know that sounds, but, but that we have our own pregnancy resource centers. That's ours. And, and, and we, we have, you know, moms can come and say, hey, I need a sonogram. Hey, you can get it for free right here. 
And, and then we have, we have counselors, and this is like beyond my, we have counselors that can come alongside and say, hey, this is, when it's a single mom situation, and we can say, or, or not, but uh, a family that maybe wasn't anticipating this or unplanned pregnancies, we can say, hey, listen, we want to come alongside you, and we want to help with, because listen to me, and, and hear my heart, for a church to be pro-life doesn't exclusively mean we're anti-abortion. We, we, we believe in protecting life in the womb. But when the life comes into the world, when that baby is born, we don't stop. We just start, we, we get started. We roll up our sleeves and we come alongside foster families and help provide things that are needed and we help adoptive families, right? And so, so for us, my, my, my concern is that we see darkness pushed back and, and children in the womb valued and their life valued. But then once they are born, we don't check out and say, well, we got you this far, but what if our church, regardless of what happens in society, comes alongside people, young or old, as children are being born and, and as moms are pregnant, we say, hey, we want to come alongside you, but we're not checking out on delivery date. We want to be their graduation day. We want to serve you and love you, and we, we want to celebrate because it's, it's womb, right? We got to say in this culture that it begins in the womb unapologetically, but we see it all the way to the tomb, right? So that's going to that's gonna be birthed out of a concern. But, but, it, but, but then commitment has to get attached to that. And ultimately, this is why I'm sharing this with you, because the community is going to have to make it happen. And I don't know what that, so you're like, if you're super excited, just I have no idea what that looks like. <laughs> but I know God does. I know God does, and I know that he can provide. And, and, and that's, that, that's, that's an example of how we cultivate but then the last thing, let me look at verses 18 and 19 as we wrap up. I'm sorry, 19 and 20, it says this. It says, when Sanballat the Heronite and Tobiah the Ammonite, by the way, they were introduced earlier in chapter two. They, they were people that, they were opposed to what Nehemiah was doing because it, it might affect their wealth, right? They're like, hey, uh, we, we don't like this. So now they come back on the scene. And so when Sanballat the Heronite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about this, they mocked and despised us and said, what is this you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Now notice that, 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 that Sanballat here and, and, and Tobiah, they're, they're saying, hey, are you rebelling against the king? Nehemiah had an answer. I got papers, bro, right? Now I'm doing the king's business, but, but he didn't address them from the earthly king's business. He says in verse 20, I gave them this reply, the God of the heavens. You wanna talk about king? Let's talk about the king of kings real quick. The God of the heavens will grant us success. We, his servants, will start building, but you have no share, right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. Last thing, you know, sometimes when, when you get that burden from the Lord, when you've evaluated what God's put in your heart and you start to cultivate, you start to cultivate that, to see the ruins push back, to rise up above the ashes. Sometimes, third point, you're gonna have to eliminate some things in your lives. They mocked him. They challenged him. But he didn't, he didn't meet them at their level. He says, you wanna know what the king has to say? Let me tell you what the God of the heavens has to say about this. Some of you, maybe you've recently given your life to Christ and you're coming to faith out of addictive patterns when it comes to alcohol or substances. And you may have friends that have not yet found hope in Jesus and, and they're still chained to that addiction. You should love them with the love of Christ. You should tell them about the freedom in Christ, but you might not should join them on Friday night. You, you might need to eliminate that. 
You're having troubles at home and you go to work and you go to lunch with your friends and they've all gone through divorce and they tell you, yeah, man, you should just leave her. You should just leave them. You, you might need to find new lunch partners, right? Because here's the reality, to quote the modern day theologian, Taylor Swift. <laughs> Haters gonna hate, right? Hate, 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 hate. Some of you, T-Swift, that's, that's her comment. She writes commentaries by, she does, okay. Not an endorsement, anyways. There's no shortage of people that will, that will oppose what God's calling you to do. And sometimes in the pursuit of faithfulness, and it's not always easy, by the way. Sometimes in the pursuit of faithfulness, you'll have to remove some things in your life that don't push you forward in what God is calling you to. Nehemiah was not lacking naysayers. He just didn't give them any space in his head, right? You know, sometimes it's not just the outside voices that we've, we've got to push out. It's our own inside voice, right? Some of us, we, we know God's calling us to do something, and we, we, we feel burdened to maybe step out of a relationship or to, 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 to change the way we manage our finances or to start serving the local church or to make that commitment for church to be a priority, whatever it might be, and we start feeling that burden, and then our own head starts to get in the way of how that's never going to work. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, we've got to take every thought captive. You gotta set your mind on things above. And beloved, this is something that, that I, I, I struggle with lately. I wish it was like a one-time, Lord, I'm taking my thoughts, all of my thoughts captive right now. But the funny thing, you gotta take every thought captive. So you, you gotta set your mind on things above. That's a progressive verb. It's not you do it one time, done, never worry again. Every day you gotta start over and sometimes it feels overwhelming. That's when we remind ourselves that God is faithful. You see, for Nehemiah, it wasn't just about broken walls. It was about a God who doesn't break promises. When Nehemiah saw Jerusalem in ruins, he knew what God had promised. And so he didn't just have a concern because walls were broken. He had a concern because broken walls didn't represent the promise of God. And so he stepped forward. And so daily you have to take those thoughts captive and daily you set your mind on things above and you get in community. That's why we talk about it so much at BT. And sometimes it's a battle. But as we do so in the midst of ruins, we will continue to keep our eyes where they need to be. And so, beloved, maybe today there are some of us, and what we need to do is we need, we need to simply begin to eliminate some things in our lives that are keeping us from what God has for us. Maybe we're living amongst the ruins instead of rebuilding them because we're allowing things in our lives that need to be eliminated. Maybe some of us, we need, we need to be cultivating what God's calling us to. Maybe some of us, it's, it's, it's time to begin to evaluate. Let me say this as we wrap up. For a believer, when you're evaluating what God is calling you to do, it's never idle. Evaluating doesn't mean you're sitting on your hands. It means you're getting on your knees. Nehemiah prayed, and he got a burden, and then he went on a three- to four-month journey, and I guarantee you he continued to pray. And when it came time, he was ready to act. Evaluation for the believer in Jesus isn't idle. It's active. 
You say, well, Chris, I, I hear you say that, and I, every Sunday y'all talk about this, but, but I try to pray, and I just start praying, and my mind wanders, and, 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 and I don't know what to do. So let me just real quick as we wrap up, let me just make this real simple. If you are currently struggling with a consistent prayer life, then commit for one week to take five minutes a day. You're like, do I set a timer? No, you're overthinking it, all right? What if it's two minutes? What if it, like, take time. Maybe, you know, like right when I wake up, maybe, unless you need coffee to think, right? Like do it at a time when you're engaged. Drive to work when you get home. But find, but, but plan it. Like today, here's your homework. Decide today, if you're struggling with a consistent prayer life, decide today when you will pray. And then begin to pray. You say, but that, okay, that's where I, you know, I, I've got this time set aside. But every time I start praying, I just start, you know, my mind wanders. And, I, and before I know it, I'm thinking about, you know, lunch or dinner or whatever. Here's the deal. We talk about this all the time. We teach this to our kids. Acts, right? So let me, I'm real quick. Do this. As you set aside that time, two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, begin your prayer. It's never a bad thing to simply pray and acknowledge how awesome God is. That can be a prayer all by itself. We teach kids adoration, adore God. Just start off saying, that, that's what Jesus teaches us in what we call the Lord's Prayer, by the way. Our Father who is in heaven, your name be regarded, hallowed, right? Your name be regarded as holy. Jesus is saying, you're awesome. <laughs> and so you start your prayer simply by saying some statements, acknowledging that he is God, and then see, confess that you're not. <laughs> And as you confess you're not God, you know you're not because you've got some things in your life that are not of him. So you, you don't just simply wash over God, forgive me my sins. You say, you, you say Father, God, I, I know that I'm prideful and, and I acted this way with my spouse or my coworker. And I know that, 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 that there's this greed or there's lust. You start to confess the things that are not of him because you're trying to get rid of them. T, you thank God for what you have. For some of us, that, that's a novel idea. Some of us, we aren't struggling with prayer. Our prayers are just like a wish list, right? I remember when I was a kid, and, and this bombed at the 9 a.m. service, but I'm going to try it again. When I was a kid, like growing up in the 80s, when it was Christmas time, you got catalogs, right? Maybe remember like the Sears catalog? Okay, there was a store when I was a kid called Best, Best Products. Does anybody remember Best? Wow, Okay. I, I grew up uh, in a time warp, I guess, but there was this store called Best, and there was, a, there was a Best store in Corpus Christi, and that catalog was like the gold mine for me. Like eight years old, I'm going through the Best catalog, right? And I'm seeing these, um, and then every December, my parents would load me and my brothers up, we'd go to Corpus, and we would walk the aisles of Best. And it was like, whoa, I saw it, and I'd take my catalog, like, oh, there's the Lego set. It's real, you know? And I'm just like marking the catalog up. And some of us, prayer life is just a response to the best catalog or the Sears catalog. We're, we're just like, God, I need this and I need this. And listen, biblically, we are told we can let our requests be made known. But a great way to season that is to start by thanking God for what you already got. Because what you might find you're praying for, you actually have. You just, God, if you would just let my wife be a wife like she's supposed to be, bing, 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 she probably is. Maybe you should pray you to the husband you should be, right? So, so we thank, hey, it's Father's Day, don't clap for that one. 
So we, we thank, so adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and then supplication. Fancy word I know, but acts doesn't really work good if it was actor, right? Uh, requests, supplication, let your requests be made known. So you have acknowledged God and how great he is. You've acknowledged you're not him and that you have things in your life that miss the mark. You have thanked God for all of his provision. And then you say, and Lord, I'm asking you, you know, I've got this, this, this coworker, you know, my, my mom, my child, my, my friend, they're, 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 they're sick and they're in the hospital. And God, the, this financial, you get the kids are going, the kids going off to college, the, the bills are going up, inflation, this thing, God, I, I just, feel despair and you start to rightly request that God would intervene on your behalf. You see, evaluating is not passive, it is active. A believer evaluates the ruins in prayer, we talked about that, in the word and with the body. Are you in the word of God? Listen, if you're not in the word of God, we talk about all the time, places you can start. You can read the book of Proverbs, one proverb a day for a month. You can read the first five Psalms the next five days. You could read the gospel of Mark. If, if you really wanna go to the next level, we, we just finished our most recent Pathways 101 class. The next one will be starting soon. You can jump into that class and learn what it means to practice the discipline of being the word. And then, and then the body of Christ, the body of Christ coming together in celebration, coming together in community, we live in a world, listen to me, don't, don't miss this, don't miss this. We live in a world where the enemy is consistently attacking the priority of the church in the home. And it's just kind of falling down the ranks. Let me just say this, and I hope you hear the burden of my heart. You know, I, I praise God that he kept our church so faithfully as we went through the pandemic. We, we continue today to see people giving their lives to Jesus and people getting baptized. By God's grace, we continue to financially meet budget and we're able to just continue to see ministry go forward. And, and we, we have this unique ability that we're figuring out to have an online ministry. But let me just say this, if you're watching online and you live close to a campus and you're physically able to, you're well enough in all those things, obviously sometimes you don't feel well, stay home, please. But, but if you're watching online because it became convenient, please come back. It's called the body of Christ for a reason. And when a part's missing, we feel it. Let me just share my heart with you. I celebrate and I've got to keep my, pray for me. I got to keep my, my, my head above the ruins, right? God has done so much in our church since that pandemic, but, but I do pray that, that the, the saints would come back together. And it may mean that, that we're going to have to, well, we, we always want to reach new people. But I think of some that, that haven't come back for whatever reason, and I don't know all the reasons, but Sometimes my heart, just being honest, it gets a little discouraged because I know that there's a great task to push back lostness. And we're better together. So we prioritize the body of Christ and celebrating what God is doing. If you're watching online, invite people to that house wherever you're watching from. Get some watch parties started. Don't, don't just make it an entertainment venue. Make it the mission of the church. In a few moments, if you're in the room, we're going to have ministers right up here in the front to pray over you. If you're watching online, you can, you can message us and let us know how we can pray for you. Listen, this is the time for you to bring those burdens up, to be encouraged by the body of Christ. Maybe someone, what you need to do is, is, is you need to be obedient and you've given your life to Jesus, but baptism is your next step, right? Maybe you need to stop evaluating that decision. You need to come say, hey, hey, I need to get baptized. I've given my life to Jesus. I want to go public with my faith. We've got two people making that decision here in McAllen in just a few moments. 
But maybe someone in this room or watching online, really what you need is not a next step, but a first step. Because contrary to what you might hear in society, if you haven't said yes to Jesus, you're not hearing the voice of God directing your life. The, the only thing that, that a non-believer hears from God is come home. I'm, I'm, I just want to be clear. He, he's, he's not telling you how to direct your finances or, or to take that job or to date that person. Because if you haven't said yes to Jesus, those things don't matter till you say yes. And society would tell us that, you know, all the, oh yeah, my friend, he doesn't know God, but he's, he's really wants God to, to direct him. Listen, and it sounds harsh, but, but God's directing him, directing him to Jesus. And today, if you're in the room or online and you haven't said yes to Jesus, Romans 10, 9, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that God raised him from the dead. If you haven't had that moment where you've said, I need help, I need a savior, like I, I'm actually not the savior of the world. And I want to invite you to make that decision. I'm going to ask everyone to bow your head and close your eyes in the room and online. And today, if you don't know where you stand before God, you don't know what you've done with his son, Jesus, you don't know if you have the assurance of eternal life, I want to give you a chance to make that decision. I'm going to ask you to say a prayer with me. The prayer is not a magic formula. Hear me. Please do not mindlessly recite words hoping that somehow there's power in the words. It's not power in the words. There's power in a heart that recognizes the need for Jesus. This isn't a magic formula, but it is a salvation confession. And today, if you want to say yes to Jesus, right where you are, just say this prayer with me. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm lost without you. But I believe you made a way for me to be made whole. I believe you sent your son, Jesus, to come to earth. I believe he lived without sin. And Jesus, I believe you died on the cross and paid for sin. I also believe, Jesus, that in obedience to the Father, you rose again by the power of the Spirit. And today, I'm trusting you with my life. And I'm asking you to be my Savior. Jesus, will you help me live for you every day of my life? Thank you for loving me first. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.